You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week eight of the study Identity Theft, entitled Servant, this week's Reaping is a Reward. Servant, Reaping a Reward. And I want you to be honest for a second. Did anyone else read the topic and kind of scoff at it? Like, was anyone like, ugh, servant? Nobody? Nobody felt negative about the word servant. <laughs> All right. I did. (laughs) I'm someone that actually likes to serve most times, but I think culturally we've given the word servant such a negative connotation, and I didn't realize how much I've allowed that to really form my view of the word servant. Does anyone else feel that way? Yeah. Um, But before we jump into that... um, I want to talk about a topic that was on my heart um, as I was preparing for this. I feel like the Lord put it on my heart, and I'm not quite sure why. But um, we all know that we live in a very broken world, right? And um, while God absolutely caused us, calls us to serve even our most unappreciative and unkind family members and co-workers... <laughs> Do you feel that? (laughs) Okay. Well, actually, no, I hope this doesn't apply to you. (laughs) God does call us to serve unappreciative people, but there is a fine line between unappreciative and abusive. And there are women who do serve in their home and in their workplace, I'm going to cry talking about serving, that are abused whether it's emotionally or physically or verbally or spiritually, um, it's, it's a reality. And um, I'm not suggesting that we all sit here and overanalyze every situation that we've had that might have been negative. Um, that's not the abuse I'm talking about. I mean like actual abuse. And um, I just kept thinking, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not here to give advice, but I just kept thinking how awful it would be if a woman in that position were in this room and all she heard was that she should continue to serve that person. So I don't know what God would want her to hear. Um, I don't think I get emotional. But I do just want to share that in Psalm 139, David tells us that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. And that God knit us together in our mother's womb. He cares about us each down to our tiniest stitch. First John 3 tells us that God lavished his love on us. And we are called his children. His children. First Peter 4, 7 says to give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. God loves each of us and cares for each of us. And while I pray that none of you guys are in that situation, you might know someone who is, and someone that does need to hear that they are loved. So, again, I don't know why I felt like I needed to share that. But let's talk about serving now. <laughs> Not to go from heavy to less heavy, but I want to start by sharing a quote uh, from author Kurt Wellam. But before we do that, I want us to take a second and just remove any um, association with the word servant that we have in our brains. So just pretend it's a brand new word. You've never heard it before, okay? And then close your eyes for a minute, because I feel like we might hear best if our eyes are closed. (laughs) Okay, he says, in the beginning... Now we're talking back in Genesis. In the beginning, humankind was given an exalted position on the earth. 
They were entrusted with the authority and dignity, with authority and dignity, and placed in a beautiful garden where it was their privilege and delight to serve God. While their work was challenging, it was not odious, which means unpleasant. It brought them fulfillment and contentment because they were doing what God created them to do. Okay, you can open your eyes. So now based off this quote, which is on the screen, I want you at your tables to take a minute and try to come up with your own explanation of how you, assuming you've never heard the word and this was your first time, assuming you were trying to explain to somebody from the perspective of Adam and Eve maybe, what it means to serve. So you can come up with a paraphrase or an actual definition, or you could just write down words maybe that would come with serving under this uh, scenario. But come up with yours at a table. I'm gonna ask each of you to share. What would you say serving is based off of this explanation? So you can go ahead. You have like three or four minutes. All right, ladies, we have to keep going for the sake of time, I'm sorry. Do you guys wanna start? Can you read me what yours is? Does everyone want to listen? Okay. <laughs> the floor is yours, Ashley. <laughs> we do for others out of the overflow of our love given to us from the Lord. And because we are fulfilled fully in him, we can willingly give of ourselves to build others up, which is doing exactly what we were created to do. Yes. You got it. <laughs> Middle table. <laughs> we talked about that we were intended to have this pure relationship, just us and God, and mm -hmm. nothing in the way, and serving him fully with joy and no other distraction, just serving him. Yeah. That was how we were initially created to be. Right. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> However. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's it. But, right. Yeah. But just framing that that was the intention. That's the intention. Yeah. Yep. Back table. You we do not have a formulated No, that's what I didn't expect everybody to at all. Okay. Right. 
Yes. Okay, ladies in the front. Um, we talked a little bit about John 13, 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So kind of meshing in with that passage that um, that the work that Adam and Eve did was based on love for God and love for God's creation around them. And they were doing what needed to be done, but it was just, they weren't even really almost even thinking about it because they just loved God and they loved right. all of his creation around them. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. I felt like, since I told you, I started this, reading this with like a little bit of a negative uh, understanding of serving. I literally felt God like realigning my heart as I was studying what it really means to serve. So when I came upon this quote, I was like, that's so good. Um, was that in the book? The quote, nope, no, I just found it online. Oh. Yeah, he is also a, um, our book's written by the Gospel Coalition and he's one of their authors as well, but it wasn't directly tied to the book, no. Um, I love that he makes the point to address work and how their work was challenging but it wasn't odious. And again, that means like extremely unpleasant and it wasn't repulsive was also tied to the word odious. Um, so it was challenging, but it was pleasant. Like they enjoyed it um, and it brought fulfillment. Like that, that's huge too because we hear the word work and a tie, tie that with serving and that also has a negative meaning. Um, and I think the most important part is to notice that their serving wasn't separate from the way they lived their lives. Um, they didn't serve God when they went to work. Like their life was an act of service to God and that included their work. Um, and then my last thought on this was just that the serving was never one-sided. So yes, they served God, but God also took care of them. He provided for them. He gave them purpose. He gave them fulfillment. He gave them contentment. He sustained them. It was not a one-sided deal. And that's truly what it means to be a servant, right? To serve God. And something else. Go ahead, God yeah. God and Adam and Eve had a relationship. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 work, the work that they did for him, they did out of great love for him. And that's a sign for us. When we do work mm -hmm. for the people that we love, you know, my kids, my daughters and my husband have said to me, I cannot cook a big Thanksgiving dinner because I, I, I have these big grandsons who eat <laughs> a, whole, a whole lot. And I said, don't take that joy away from me. Don't yeah. tell me I can't do that. Yeah. You know, and Wayne said, well, then don't get stressed out. I said, getting stressed out is part of it. <laughs> <laughs> part of the joy. So next time you're stressed out, remember that it brings Ruth joy to be stressed. Stress is just part of it. Yep. Write that down, ladies. <laughs> All right. So we can't stop there, though, because we're not in the garden, and some things have changed since the time in the garden. So this quote actually didn't end there. There is a second part that reads, serving God and its necessary entailment, 
serving one another is basic to our image bearing and our humanity. And although it is as true today as it was in the beginning, something has happened that makes our service painful, discouraging, and frustrating. Something happened. We all know there's a reason the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 1, right? Because sin entered the world. And sin birthed discontentment. It birthed anger. It birthed malice and envy and selfishness and pride. And I could go on and on and on. Because of sin, we have a distorted view of God's purpose for us in serving him. But we all know that God, I hope we all know that God, in his love for us, sent Jesus to die for our sins, right? That's John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. A few weeks ago, we focused on what it means to be redeemed and what it looks like to live redeemed. So if we've been redeemed by Jesus' blood, then why don't we live our lives fully redeemed? And why is serving different for us than it was for Adam and Eve in the garden? We all know that also changed. But it's because we're already we're in the already but not yet. Do we remember that term? We've talked about it a lot here um, in this study. We are already redeemed, but until Jesus returns, we are not fully redeemed until he returns and uh, ends in once and for all because we're not living in a fully redeemed world. So until then, we can look to our ultimate servant, which is Jesus, and we can see how we are called to live and serve while we are here in the already, but not yet. In reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the accounts of Jesus' life, we find countless examples of how we can serve, just like Jesus, but just hit the picture of his overarching life alone is the biggest example that we have on what it looks like to be a servant. God himself came to earth to redeem the people who had turned their backs on him. And while he was here, they hated him, yet he still went to the cross for them, the cross that they built for him to die on. He took the harassment and the pain and he gave his life. And then, in like a mic drop moment, while he's hanging there dying, he asked God to forgive them. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Like, what an act of selflessness. And then I think of myself, and probably most of us, who get upset when we don't get a thank you from our husband or a thank you from our friend. Hearing that perspective is so humbling. So with that, we are going to dive right in to the theft and the truth and the transformation. I also want to encourage you, if you do have time this week, to read through the, the Gospels. Um, there are much smaller examples of selfless, selflessness that Jesus uh, provides. Um, yeah, so take the time to look for some, to read them, and actively apply it. But our theft this week, the lie that Satan wants us to believe, is that we do not have to serve those who don't appreciate what we do. This week's author, Betsy Childs, points, Betsy Childs Howard, points out that Christians often take for granted serving others is a good thing. She even adds that most of us know Matthew 20, 26 to 28, which reads, um, if I can find it, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and to whoever wants to be the first must be your slave 
just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. She said we know that, most of us, yet we still fail to joyfully serve others. Whether that's our children or it's our spouse or our elderly parent or our coworkers, we automatically feel taken for granted if they don't acknowledge us in the way that we expect them to. Betsy then uses a few examples from Downton Abbey for visuals. I've never personally watched it, so I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but she shares a scene where the family maid is teaching one of the children how to bake a cake. And now this maid has made hundreds of cake for the family, but she doesn't get rewarded. She doesn't get a, a big thank you or a, a big commemorative um, appreciation. Yet when the mother sees the daughter baking a cake, she is so filled with pride and appreciation that she cries. <coughs> and for us looking into this scenario, it might look like the maid is just being taken for granted, right? And it does not feel good to feel that way, but it was the maid's job to bake the cakes. She gets paid to bake the cakes, right? And in the same way that it was her job, we are also called to serve. So whether it's always verbally appreciated or not, we are still called to serve people. She uses a second Downton Abbey reference to drive home a really beautiful truth, and I'm going to read it right out of the book. She says, servants are employed by one master, but serve many others who are not their masters. In a house like Downton Abbey, a footman waits on everyone at the table, but his only master is the Lord of the house. The good servant lives to please his master and to serve those the master assigns to his care. It helps me to remember that in terms of spiritual service, my only master is God. He has given me neighbors to serve for his sake. Pleasing other people is a good thing, but when I serve for their approval, rather than God's, I put them in the place of the master and forget my true identity, a servant of God. And that brings us to the truth. Are we, oops. <laughs> the truth is that we were created to serve the Lord for fulfillment, hope, and blessing. Remember when Adam and Eve served God, it was never one-sided. We were made to be fulfilled in God. We are created with a desire for a reward. But because of our sin nature, we seek the reward in all of the wrong places. In Colossians 3.22, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do not only and not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not only for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Our reward is in heaven. We have so much more to look forward to than the things of this world. We will not, we will not find fulfillment in any earthly things because it won't fill the hole. It's kind of like those children's toys where you have a wooden, or maybe not wooden, but a block and it's like a star and you have to put it in the star hole. Then you have a circle and you have to put it in the circle hole or square and you gotta put, you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to find fulfillment in earthly things is like trying to fit the star into the square. Like it's not gonna fit. Our treasure is in heaven. And that's the only place you will fill 
that com you can completely fill your longing. I appreciate that Bexie makes a point in the section to clarify that our inheritance, our salvation, our adoption into God's family was given to us solely as a gift from Jesus, and it is by his blood only. So while serving others does not get us into heaven, it does matter what we do on earth. In scripture, we see multiple times that our actions in this life have consequences in the next. And on page 105, Betsy says, Jesus warned, beware of practicing righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Buried in this warning is the glorious news that in the life to come, our Father will celebrate good deeds that go unnoticed on earth. Looking forward to this promise, promised reward helps us to embrace our identity as servants and heirs of God. And that brings us to transformed. How should our understanding of God's purpose for us and his promises for us as his servants shape the way we serve? We should live our lives as an act of service to God, the Father, serving him and not serving man. We seek the reward we are promised in heaven, not the reward from our neighbors. So in the book, Betsy lists a few examples of what that might look like. She says that it might be washing the coffee pot at work every week, even if your coworkers don't notice. It could be joyfully visiting a family member with Alzheimer's, even though they don't recognize you, and then bitterly complain that their family member has forgotten them. She said it could be volunteering on the cleanup crew, even though the decorating crew is the one who gets acknowledged. And then I asked my kids if they had any examples to add as well. So they said it could be giving someone a get well card if they're sick, even if they just throw it away. Not too bad. They get worse, just wait. <laughs> Helping my neighbor up when he falls, even though he says mean things to me. And then they said to clean the bird poop off the slide before the next person goes down, even if the next person in line is the mean kid. And then I asked Aniston, my five-year-old, which many of you know her, she had no idea what I was asking her. So she says, give them hugs and invite them to your birthday. Aww. So, <laughs> but as I was reading the list in the book, I was coming up with my own in my head, and I'm sure you guys were too. Um, <laughs> but while we're living in the already but not yet, let's remember to look to our perfect example, our Savior, who not only shows us how to live as servants, but empowers us to do so by the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. Because one day, ladies, we will reap a reward. And it's one that is far greater than we could ever possibly imagine. So our chapter, op chapter opened with a Spurgeon quote. I don't know if any of you read it or skipped over, but I'm going to end with it this morning. It is something we should each consider. It says, man is born to be a servant, and a servant he will be. Who shall be his master? That is the question.